0: You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla DeNanio, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. (laughs) Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarealawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarealawyer.com to grab some merchandise. In episode 54, I am speaking with a public interest fellow and lawyer. This guest is a project manager and took complete control over when and how she takes the bar exam. Based in Brooklyn, New York, today's guest is Kate Dwyer. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. So I got to let the people know. You and I connected on Twitter, my favorite yes. place mm-hmm. to talk to lawyers, <laughs> um, and you were sharing a little bit about why you were just fed up with the bar exam. You were, yes. you were just completely over it. Mm-hmm. Would you share a little bit about that with the audience?
1: Yeah. So I graduated from law school in May of 2021, and as most people do, I, I think I had a week off between graduation and when I started my bar prep course. And so all of last summer was just in that awful grind of bar prep, studying, you know, misery.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I took the New York bar exam in July and I was pretty sure I had not passed it, but you know, when you say that to people, they're kind of like, oh, you're smart, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're talented, um, I'm sure you passed. And I just felt like, well, I think I would know and know myself better than you do. And just that kind of sense of toxic positivity, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is really contributes to the stigma around not passing the bar mm-hmm. or taking a different path when it comes to licensure. So, anyway, I found out in October that in fact I had not passed, and I tweeted about that because I tweet about everything. (laughs) Um, And to my surprise, that tweet went viral. And so that led me to a lot of connections with people who had. Also, not passed the bar, or had you know taken more circuitous paths after law school, and just a lot of validation and support of mm-hmm. the fact that it is totally fine to fail the bar exam, and that it doesn't say anything about you as a person or about your um, professional prospects or or really anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a bad exam that measures nothing important with any level of accuracy. Mm -hmm. So, but even though I had, you know, sort of on one level, I knew that, and I really believe that on another level, I think from the time that you decide to go to law school and decide to sign up for the LSAT, you really are getting on a conveyor belt that Mm -hmm. just doesn't end. And so even though I kind of felt this sense of frustration and anger and resentment about the bar exam, I still signed up to take the February bar exam because that's just what you do. Yeah. And so I think at that point I had maybe a couple of weeks off, maybe two weeks off before I started studying again and, you know, was just back to that same grind. And so as everyone has, you know, to some degree or less, the past two years have been hard. And especially the last six months or so have been hard just in my personal life. And so I think it just kind of started weighing on me, the combination of all these things, you know, trying to deal with things in my personal life, trying to figure out what I was doing professionally and career wise, trying to study for this exam and feeling the pressure of, you know, you failed it once. And that's maybe fine, but failing it twice, you know, that it starts to feel like the stakes are getting higher. And basically I reached a breaking point where I realized that it was not worth sacrificing my mental health to just conform to a prescribed course of what your life and your career should look like after law school. Mm -hmm. And throughout law school and prior to law school, my background is in immigration law. And so a lot of the internships that I did and volunteer work that I did during law school was you know, working at the border, just a lot of things that were very heavy and very intense. And that was the work that I went to law school to do and planned to do after law school. And at a point I just found that I was burned out. And I realized that even if I took the bar and passed it and got the job that I had planned to get, I was not in a place to show up for that work and for clients and for communities in the way that I want to. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided that it was better to wait until the time was right rather than forcing it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I know that's not an easy decision to make. It's, no. it's not, right? And even in hindsight, it's still difficult because the conveyor belt idea can be seen as a positive or a negative. Mm-hmm. You take the LSAT, you get into school, you go to school, you take the bar exam, you become an attorney, you're, the world is open to you, right? right. A pot of gold is here. <laughs> right? Every job you could possibly want, just mm-hmm. all of it. And the truth is you take the LSAT, you take the LSAT multiple times, yep. you pick the LSAT to get into the school you really want, right. You pay for school applications yep. You can afford some, you can afford a couple, <laughs> you get exactly. into maybe two schools, not the one you really want it, but one that's mm-hmm. okay. The whole process, right? Like I wish it was a conveyor belt because exactly. when you're in it, it is very slow. Yes. <laughs> and it's very meticulous and tedious.
1: And it's full of frustrations and mm-hmm. disappointments and going into debt and sleep deprivation and not being able to engage in relationships or hobbies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of what motivates people and law students is that pot of gold. And Mm -hmm. that pot of gold doesn't have to be money. For me, the pot of gold was going to be world-renowned respect. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Look at you, the attorney. Mm -hmm. Wow. I knew it. That's what I was waiting for, right? right? I knew it. And instead I got nothing (laughs) because when you don't pass, I took the bar in Louisiana and in the state of Ohio, and they Uh have a public listing of who passed. Yeah. So you get no calls if you don't pass because people don't know what to say. What do you say? Right. Exactly. So instead of the overwhelming, we knew it. So proud of you, you get nothing and you're stuck Uh there with your own thoughts. Like okay. Uh, you know, you check the list. You're like, maybe they misspelled my name. Maybe <laughs> I'm, I got an email coming saying, that- right? and it's nothing. Right. So um, it's immediately isolating, immediately Definitely. isolating. But one of the points that you said that I really loved was how it affects relationships. Yeah. Because for me, I graduated in 2015 mm-hmm. and I think I was taking the bar up in, until 2017. Mm-hmm. So I met someone I got engaged. Mm -hmm. We were trying to plan a life. Oh, I can't get married right now. I'm going to take the bar next month. Right. Oh, I I don't even want to think about kids. You know, I want to take the bar again next year.
1: Right. Oh, no, 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 no,
0: no. I can't take that job. It's too much responsibility. I'm planning to take the bar. Mm -hmm. I postponed so many things in my life for this exam. Yeah. And the thing that got me to not take it again was I was like, enough. (laughs) This exam is a thousand dollars. The cost is there. But the mental cost, the cost in time. Right. That's the part, right? So before I jump too far, (laughs) (laughs) after you took the New York bar exam, what -hmm. did you feel that made you say to yourself, I don't think I passed?
1: Yeah. So I have never been a good test taker. You know, I've always had test anxiety. And to be totally honest, I think it goes back, you know, further than that because all throughout my childhood and high school and college, I was always one of those people who didn't really have to study. School came pretty easy to me, you know, naturally. And so I never built up, I think a lot of those study skills and sort of self-discipline skills that I felt like so many of my peers in law school had So even thinking about, you know, studying for 1L finals, I kind of just felt like everyone around me knows what to do. And I am floundering. And I feel like the advice that people always say is, you know, just use the skills that got you this far, and that will help you be successful in law school as well. And I kind of just felt like, what skills? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, I've always had sort of, a feeling of self doubt when it comes to exams and performance and those kinds of things. And so I think that was really hanging over me as kind of a very dark cloud Mm
2: -hmm. throughout
1: the entire process of bar prep, because I just felt like anytime, you know, I was getting questions wrong or not understanding a concept. I just kind of felt like, this is it, you know, I can't learn this, I'm not going to be ready. So there's definitely an extent to which it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. But I also think, you know, it just goes to show that we all learn and all demonstrate our knowledge in such different ways. Mm -hmm. And so forcing people to conform to A racist, ableist, outdated standardized test to demonstrate that they're prepared to be an attorney just does not make sense. So, yeah, I think I just had this feeling of, I know I can't do it. And then I know I didn't do it. And then I was right, I didn't do it. And so it was not a surprise to me at any step of the way.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure people were trying to be comforting when they were saying, oh, I'm sure you passed because a right. lot of people walk out of there and say, what exactly that, <laughs> right.
1: Um, exactly. And I think being, you know, so many people who go into this profession are very high achieving sort of type a people and tend to be really hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of discern between, okay, you know, is this really as bad as I think, or is it just this kind of tendency to think you are never good enough? Or is it really me assessing the situation, honestly?
0: Yeah. And it's really unfortunate, right? Because all of your experience, which we're about to talk about, Mm -hmm. I know you'd be an amazing attorney. I know (laughs) I would be a kick-ass attorney. Like, I know I would. Yeah. And I was just talking to a mentor last week and they're like, I'll pay for it if you take it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? You could pay for it and I would appreciate it. But when I sit down to study myself, I'm not Mm -hmm. going to do it. I don't the mystical, whatever magic that was there for taking it the first time, how many essays can I write this week? That is gone. I promise you, I would not, you would waste your money. You could just give me the (laughs) thousand (laughs) dollars because I know, right? Like it's not even about what you study as much as how you study, right? Because I'm a flashcard girl, Mm -hmm. right? So you could tell me anything, fifth amendment, this, 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 I'm shooting it off at you. That's Uh the same as writing it for eight hours. Right. Exactly. Three times a week.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. right?
0: Because they say the bar exam is supposed to test minimal competency to practice law. And I don't believe that's true. It does not. No, it's not. I absolutely don't believe it's true. So, okay. Enough (laughs) of that. (laughs) So I want to talk about all of your experience that happened before you even went to law school, right? In college, you started teaching English to international students, right? Mm -hmm. So you're teaching them all about noun and verb agreements Uh and you're also hearing about their stories about injustices and immigration practices. Mm -hmm. Would you tell us about the path you took after that? Yeah. So yes, like
1: you said, I, the introduction was really through the relationships that I had with my students and hearing about, you know, of course being an international student is already being in a much more privileged position than many people are, but even so, you know, can be very difficult in many ways. And so just learning about that and kind of feeling so furious and so helpless to be able to do anything to address the injustices that these people I really came to know and care about were facing. And so I had this sense that I wanted to engage with these issues on a systemic level rather than on an individual level. Um, you know, just in terms of being, you know, being a teacher or being a volunteer, I felt like I wanted to be doing something that was going to have a bigger impact. And yeah. people sort of my whole life have said you should be a lawyer. You know, I think people have this idea that if you are good at, you know, public speaking and like debating or something, that then that means you should be a lawyer, mm-hmm. even though, of course, it's about so much more than that. And I'd always felt very resistant to that. But by the time, you know, I graduated from college, I was kind of coming around to the idea, but I felt like I needed to figure out really what that meant, what it would Mm -hmm. mean to be a lawyer before I went down that path. So my first job out of college, I was a legal assistant for uh, plaintiff's attorneys, and that was really a life-changing opportunity, Mm -hmm. not only because of the relationships that I developed with the attorneys I worked for who were so supportive and so engaged in helping me learn and grow and continue on my path, but also the opportunity to do exactly what I hoped that this career might allow me to do, which was engage on a higher level with these systemic issues while at the same time addressing harm that an individual had faced. Mm -hmm. So especially working on employment discrimination cases, on Title IX cases, wrongful death cases, just a variety of things that were very personally gratifying to be a part of a successful outcome. And at the same time, developing so many practical skills, which honestly, they just don't teach you in law school, you know, how to, how to, how to file, you know, how to file documents with the court, how to use PACER, you know, all these sort of practical things that really aren't addressed in law school. So, you know, learning civil procedure, not from a book, but from actually doing the, you know, step by step. And I just love doing it it was so fun and so gratifying. And so it really solidified for me that this was something I could see myself doing. So after a few years, I decided that since immigration was kind of what had started me on this path, I wanted to get some more experience in that realm. So I started working at a small immigration law firm. And that was, you know, similarly, just getting experience with being hands-on and really understanding how dysfunctional these systems are and how tough it can be to navigate them even as an expert. So just really eye-opening and really rewarding and it imbued in me such a sense of confidence when I went into law school that I was exactly where I needed to be.
0: Yeah and I love the fact that your motivation was advocacy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was what got you here. Yeah. And then also that may have been what people saw in you, you mm-hmm. know, they thought they were saying, Oh, you're a great arguer. You're a great debater. You should do yeah. this. But I think, or at least I want to hope that people uh, say that to us. Cause I heard it too. You're mm-hmm. so passionate about this, that you'll argue with someone. Right. right. You should keep fighting for this. Yeah. But instead what they say is you should go to law school. You should be a lawyer. Oh my God. Right. You should be a lawyer. Yeah. And, it wasn't until I was out of law school where I realized, wait, I can advocate without being an attorney.
2: Right. Yes.
0: Are you sure? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, there's all these advocacy programs. Absolutely. You do not have to go to law school to advocate for anything. Yes. So
1: absolutely. And I think we put ourselves and we put each other in these boxes, you know, mm-hmm. where we think the only way to do to achieve this is to go on this path to become a lawyer. And once you're a lawyer. That's it. You're going to do what you were meant to do. You're going to solve these problems. You're going to be successful. You're going to be happy. And of course, it's not that straightforward. But, you know, I love that you said that because it actually, you saying that was the first time that I had ever considered that that really could be what people meant by saying you should be a lawyer. Yeah, I think there's something to that.
0: Yeah, I think there is. And people give the state of California a lot of slack because you don't Mm -hmm. have to be a law school graduate to take the bar exam in California, Mm -hmm. but there is some merit to that. Yeah. Right. You have been, you were a paralegal for at least four years Mm -hmm. and in two different practices. Yeah. You have a wealth of knowledge that Mm -hmm. is not even the surface of that is not even scratched in law school. Uh, No. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some merit to it back in the olden, olden days, you know, <laughs> right. 1700s or whatever, you used to just apprentice and then right. you could become a lawyer. So mm-hmm. we got away from that, but I don't, I don't see why we couldn't change it again. And law is a big ship that does not turn quickly, <laughs>
2: right? Absolutely. but I do
0: believe that it can change. I don't know yeah. how, but I, yeah. I know that it can change. I know if everyone said, okay, that test was fine, but now we want this what's the reason why you wouldn't accept that? If it's a better model, if it's a better way to find out if people are able to practice law, you know, look at it. Right. The thing that I come back to that just fills me with so much
1: rage is that I think, you know, exactly as you were saying, there are people of goodwill, you know, people who are coming to this topic in good faith to, to talk about How can we facilitate good people, qualified people, passionate people getting into practice? That's what we say the question is. Mm -hmm. But I think the reality is that the bar exam exists solely to gatekeep and solely to allow into the profession people who come from a rigid education with a, a certain ability to kind of sit down and do things in a certain way and who have the money and the resources to. Pay for a prep course and study full time without working and Mm -hmm. pay for all the fees in reality is a mechanism to make sure that the face of the profession stays as it currently is, which is wealthy and white.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think it's tough because, you know, I think that's kind of what's under the surface and really unacknowledged in a lot of ways. But I also think during the pandemic, you know, just as we have seen. A shift towards, you know, remote work and more flexibility and different priorities in career, there has also been an amazing movement of law students and law graduates advocating for um, bar exam reform. And mm-hmm. I think the remote bar administration and what a debacle that has been over the past two years has really revealed a lot of sort of the deep flaws and discrimination that's baked into this system. And so I think it's another instance in which the pandemic has kind of said the quiet part out loud. So I'm really optimistic and hopeful that there is light being shined on that and energy that's going to continue to build for reform.
0: Yeah. And I think gatekeeping is a perfect way to explain it because mm-hmm. whenever you talk about reforming the bar exam, people who've been practicing for 10, 12, 30 years, no, I took that exam, you take the exam. Exactly. Okay. But people who had surgery 30 years ago were not doing those same practices. Like mm-hmm. in the medical field, right with Exactly. And they didn't change. But we're saying if you didn't used to have anesthesia, you don't get anesthesia now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it really is the same argument yeah, argument. It's nonsensical. It is. And it's sad. And the only the only reason you would do that is to gatekeep, to keep exactly. someone out, to, yep. to us and to them. So, right. okay. So I didn't want the whole conversation to be the bar exam, but it's okay that yeah. it is because right. no, it's the okay. bar exam is the culmination. If you decide to take it, it is mm-hmm. the culmination of your legal education Right. and good, bad or ugly. You can find people who have horror stories about the bar exam, even mm-hmm. if they are practicing. So, mm-hmm. yes, but it
1: looms large
0: for all of us. <laughs> it does. I follow a lot of lawyers and I see all the memes about mm-hmm. the first year associates being taught and trained by the paralegals, even with all of that knowledge and having been a paralegal for four years, why did you still say, oh, their strength in becoming an actual lawyer, their strength in becoming an attorney?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. And it has one, it is one that I have definitely asked myself, <laughs> especially over you know the past couple of years like you said memes there's this meme of uh the chill paralegal who's always you know coming to the rescue
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i just think you know i used to be the chill paralegal what <laughs> what am i doing now but i think a big part of it was just a feeling of wanting to be in the driver's seat
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know of course i think there's obviously a level of prestige and of course the money is different but more than that I think I just felt like I wanted to be the one to be doing it and not just facilitating it, but being yeah. sort of the name and the face for clients and in court, and just feeling like I was the one making strategic decisions and, you know, forming those relationships and not sometimes feeling the frustration of feeling like maybe I have ideas about this or a different perspective, but. I'm not in a role where it's accepted or appropriate for me Mm -hmm. to provide that type of input, which I think, you know, depends on the workplace culture. And, you know, I had very positive relationships with the attorneys that I worked for, but even so it's just a different thing to be kind of doing assignments that you then hand off to someone else rather than being the person whose name is at the bottom of the page.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so funny, right? I could see you being the attorney and you're still like, I want to do all the foulings though. I really enjoy it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I have thought about that. You know, I think I would probably have trouble relinquishing control.
0: Yeah. Like all of the stuff I'm saying in quotes, the grunt work that you don't yeah. want to do is the stuff that you're like, actually, I want to do that part. Exactly. I'm like, I,
1: you know, you all
0: <laughs> develop
1: your little quirks and systems and things. So, yeah, um, yeah you got to let that go.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, between the plaintiff's attorney office and then the mm-hmm. immigration office, what did you enjoy the most about being a paralegal? I think
1: the variety of types of cases and, you know, both within the two different practice uh, areas, being in state civil court versus the immigration system, but even underneath those two umbrellas, getting to work with attorneys who have different areas of expertise, who have different types of caseloads, different backgrounds. So just really getting to have my hands in a lot of different things and, you know, develop such a breadth of knowledge, not necessarily a depth, you know, Mm -hmm. the same way as an attorney who has a specialty does. But yeah, I think that was just really exciting to me to kind of see the way the sausage is made in so many different areas.
0: Okay. Very cool. So do you think that all of that experience helps you out in your current role now, being the managing director of the Center for Public Interest, Advocacy, and Collaboration?
1: Yeah, I think so. So I was very fortunate to get this role, which is at a center at my law school. And I definitely feel like with this role and even the internships, my law school is on a different system where I completed four full-time internships. So I got to have a lot of hands-on experience. And I think in all of these, you know, interviewing for jobs, applying for jobs, I felt very fortunate that I felt like I was bringing to the table just a different background and a different perspective than students who I think go to law school right out of college. You know, I understand why a lot of people do that, but my advice to people is always, always to take some time and work because I think you do just develop these real world skills and experiences that will really serve you well. And, you know, in my current role, there's a a large component of project management, and there's definitely, definitely sort of direct crossover between managing projects and managing a program and collaborating with external partners, you know, That is really kind of a reflection of the responsibilities I had as a paralegal, you know, managing cases of different kinds for different attorneys that were moving at different paces in different court systems. So just the ability to keep a lot of balls in the air um, and being super, super organized (laughs) is the key.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And you were saying that you received this job through your school which yeah. was Northeastern University School of Law. And you originally received the job because it was a JD Advantage role. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, I love that phrase. Adv- <laughs> like I want to rename the podcast JD Advantage. Yeah, because It's so cool. Cause it's not, I've seen JD preferred jobs, mm-hmm. but JD Advantage, like that really speaks to what you want. You want right. the advantage of me having three exactly. years of legal training. Like mm-hmm. that is so cool. <laughs> Do you feel that you'll look for other jobs like this or like, does the fellowship have a term, you know, limit or or what?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sort of the acting managing director in my role as a fellow, which will be ending early this summer. And so right now I'm in the process of applying for jobs that will, you know, start after this opportunity concludes. And I'm definitely looking for things that are in the same vein and I have to say, I've been really pleasantly surprised at how many jobs are out there that are really cool and really exciting and draw on a lot of my not just sort of practical work experience skills, but my sort of legal knowledge and the expertise and experience that I've gained through my internships in immigration law and working in the reproductive justice space. So it's been really gratifying and kind of a relief to realize that there are jobs out there that I can be really satisfied in and feel like I'm doing important work that feels interesting and fulfilling. Where my law degree is not going to waste, but actually helping me bring something different to the table and be successful.
0: Yeah. And that part is really important because our law degrees will always be useful in a general sense. Mm -hmm. Right? There's things that we learned in law school that we'll never forget. There's ways that we process. There's ways that we research. Mm -hmm. But to use your degree in a practical way every day, you know, that is something that we all want to do. And I think that was what we were looking for in terms of becoming an attorney. Even right now, literally right now, I hoped that becoming an attorney would mean that I was using my education. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I would have seen that that was not the case. But yeah. I, I wouldn't have done any better, right? I would have been on right. the other side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that goes
1: back to, you know, the conveyor belt idea that there's just this expectation that if you don't become an attorney and you don't become an attorney right after you graduate, mm-hmm. then you failed and it was a waste. And that's just not true. And again, you know, Twitter, shout out Twitter, uh, <laughs> that I have made some connections with people who are kind of in this kind of in the middle somewhere, you know, there are people who realize very early on that they don't want to be an attorney. They're never going to practice. They have no interest in practicing. And of course, at the other extreme people who are practicing right away and just continue to practice. But I connected, you know, after I tweeted about my decision to withdraw from the February bar, I connected on Twitter with a number of people who said, you know, I waited tables for three years after law school. And then I took the bar when I was ready and when I felt excited about it. And when I knew that I was doing it because I wanted to, and because it was going to facilitate the next step that I was ready for rather than doing it because it's just what's done. And so- that has been really energizing to me to realize that a door is never closed Mm -hmm. and you can just take things as they come. You know, I think right now we are all struggling so much with the pandemic and everything else that's weighing so heavy in the world. And I think just remembering that things are always in flux, they're always changing. And so you can make the decision that's right for you at the time that is right. And you don't have to pressure yourself to be on a timeline that isn't right for you.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point because there is no limitation on taking the bar exam. Right. There is an expiration date on your MPRE score, mm-hmm. but that, I mean, you know, pay the 80 bucks and then take right, it it's like, so, Right,
1: You can work that out.
0: Yeah. And for those listening, your MPRE exam is the multi-state professional responsibility exam which is a score that you need. It's also taken into account for you to become an attorney. So yeah, that's actually a really good point. Whatever decision you make now does not have to be the decision forever, right? You do have time to change your mind. If you do, I love that idea of doing something completely different, waiting and mm-hmm. then being excited for the bar exam. I've yeah. never heard any. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> now that's how you really know you want to be an attorney. Cause you're like, wow, well, I kind of right. miss it. I'm still yeah. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And I love that you tweeting about your story opened up so many doors and it allowed so many other people to say these things to you because they may have been feeling them on their own. They may have never told anyone. They may have only told a journal Yeah, and it feels good to share, right? One of my favorite things about Twitter is people share some really vulnerable stuff on there Mm -hmm. and it used to shock me, but now I'm kind of like, they're not saying it for the shock value. They're saying it in hopes that if you're feeling it, you can say, oh my God, that's what I've been feeling. And I had no idea.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think even if you have, you know, your face and your profile picture and your name and your handle, there's still a level of anonymity. And so I think that for me feels very freeing to just be tweeting out to the universe, something that might be really hard to say to those who are closest to me. Yeah, because you don't want to let people down, you don't want to feel judged. And so kind of just giving it up to sort of a wider audience, I think just that act in itself for me feels really cathartic. And then to receive the response that I have with these tweets about the bar exam has been so validating and so... Comforting and also so inspiring. You know, I've received hundreds of DMs from people who've gone through a similar experience, whether it was with law school, med school, you know, some other type of experience in life where things take a turn and you end up on a different path than you expected. And how hard it can be to accept that for yourself, but also be honest about it and share it with people when you're worried that they may not understand. So, for me, I have found such an incredible and supportive community and feel really fortunate to connect with strangers over something that otherwise would have been such an isolating experience.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And sometimes the sharing helps you to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. For me, I had to actually forgive myself. I was like, yes. Kyla, you are intelligent, mm-hmm. you graduated from law school. Like you said, you graduate, you party that night because you graduated. Yeah. You have a week to get your ducks in a row. For me, yep. it was waiting for my Sally Mae Bar loan to kick in. Yep.
1: There's <laughs> no time to recover. There's no time to celebrate. There's yep. no time to think about what's next. Mm-hmm. It just is automatic. And so I think for me, it was really very difficult and very fraught for me to make the decision to withdraw from the February bar. But once I did, it just kind of hit me like this is the first time that I've made a choice about this process because up until now, it's just been me going through the motions, going through the process that's expected. Nobody tells you that you don't have to take the bar right after law school. Unfortunately, I had to go through almost a year of a really painful and hard time to finally get to a place where I was forced to make that decision due to the circumstances.
0: Yeah. And to anyone who's listening, who's not a lawyer or not even a law student yet, Kate, your decision is not the obvious one. I mean, choice is gone. My mind keeps saying illusion, but you you do have the illusion of choice once you get into law school, but it, it is technically gone. Because Mm -hmm. I remember them talking about the bar exam at orientation. Right. I remember my first week of law school when they said, who do you want to sign up for, for bar prep? Right. I remember eventually becoming a bar prep student worker Mm -hmm. in the atrium, trying to get other people to sign up for the bar exam. So it is truly a one track. You're on the conveyor belt. You are headed towards the bar exam.
1: I remember hearing the first time I heard the word Barbary, I was like, who is that? (laughs) Like, like who, who is Barbary? Yeah. Because yeah, you know, it's just the water you swim in and you're, like you said, there's people are trying to hand you promotional materials for bar prep courses before you've even figured out Mm -hmm. how to take notes in class.
0: Or where's Um, the bathroom in this room? Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So I think, you know, And it's always about what's
0: next. And it's never about where
1: you are now in the present.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're lucky, you get to choose your electives as a 3L, but a lot of times, even that people are taking courses that they know will be on the bar exam. Right. It really is. We're going to have to look into that. I wonder if bar exam companies are paying schools. (laughs) I mean, I would not be surprised in the slightest. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that's, that's interesting. So Kate, just as a final question, Mm -hmm. is there anything you'd like to say to someone listening just about the choices that you've made? Any last words you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, gosh,
1: trust yourself. I think that is the most difficult thing that I have learned to do, but ultimately the most healing and the most rewarding to tune into your own intuition and your own gut knowledge that I think we're so often discouraged from listening to, but at the end of the day, you know yourself, you know, what's best for you. You know what you need. And I made the decision to withdraw from the bar without telling anyone because I didn't want to hear, Oh, you know, you're just scared. You can do it. You just need to try harder. I didn't want these external messages influencing me I wanted to listen to myself. And so I think making a practice of trusting your gut at every step of the way will get you where you should be.
0: I love that. You can't see me, but I am vigorously nodding my head. (laughs) Trust yourself. Yes.
1: Yes. It's easier said than done, but so important. I really hope that by talking about it, I can normalize it and make it easier for people who find themselves in the same position.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much,
1: Kate. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and thank you for being
0: interested in amplifying this experience. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.